This is the IDP After Show. And welcome to the IDP After Show. I am one of your wonderful co-hosts for this evening, Jake Colhagen, and joined by the even more wonderful, if that's possible, but it is in this case, uh, Boobam. Jeff, how are you tonight? Fantastic, sir. And yourself? I couldn't be better. It was a long day with the uh, the old nine to five, but getting to come together with you, talk a little keep trade cut, which I know is one of your personal favorites, I believe, uh, but also one of my favorite exercises as well. I really couldn't ask for a better uh, a better end to the night here. So, all right, yeah. You know, with that said, uh, we'll kind of jump into it here a little bit. I will say shout out to one uh, subscriber for the IDP show in John. Uh, he was a good friend of mine, and he wanted more of these episodes, so I, I made the push for it, and, and Jeff did all the wonderful work to put it together. Um, but with that said, just a quick kind of frame of reference for you, for us here, right? So we're going to talk through the keep trade cut exercise. Um, obviously keep is very, very clear and explicit. You know, this is a guy you want on your roster. Um, so we're going to keep him. Uh, trade is someone that we perceive has that value, whether it's in our own leagues, in our own mind, or just in the, the market in general, in terms of fantasy football and cut is, well, you're the, you're the player that's left over between those two, right? We don't see trade value for you. We don't see, you know, keeping the roster value, um, but that doesn't actually mean this is someone we're trying to cut from our rosters, right? It's it's always that mental exercise, which, you know, Jeff did an excellent job putting these together. It actually put me through some good paces myself. And um, I think we're going to come together with some awesome uh, thoughts on this. So with that said, Jeff, anything you'd add to kind of the, the context of keep trade cut here before we start? No, it's just, uh, like you said, it's a great exercise. It's best ball season. Um, we're getting ready to do that best ball mania with all all of the people from all over the world and uh, just kind of get Tomorrow, you know, I said, yeah, yeah, clock is ticking down. All right, well, take us away, Jeff. Where are we starting first here? Who we got? Well, we're going to start with the D-line and edge positions here. Um, and so when we were looking at this data, uh, we discovered some kind of interesting trends, especially with the D-line and edge positions. We have uh, right around this point in the draft at the start of the third round, we've reached this like this cliff, this D-line edge cliff, where most of the high safe profile players are already drafted and managers are looking at either pivoting to a linebacker or to try to find that one last edge player that they feel can really take their team over the edge. And the ADP right now is really suggesting that this is the spot in the draft where managers have to make that really difficult decision. And this is also the point in the draft where managers can really separate themselves from league mates by nailing that second or maybe even that third D-lineman for their team that massively outperforms expectations and becomes maybe D-line six or higher by season's end. A prime example of this is last year with Max Crosby. In uh, 2021, he finished as D-line 16 with 181 points. Last year, in 2022, he finished as D-lineman one with 272 points. I think that's the true definition of a league winner. And so for the purposes of our discussion tonight, we wanted to compare apples to apples, and we wanted to try to find who is that next Crosby-type jump in order to do that, we had to remove the defensive tackles from our discussion because they're also into the rankings of D-line. Um, those players included Jeffrey Simmons, who was coming in at D-lineman 21, uh, DeForest Buckner coming in at D-line 22, and Christian Wilkinson at D-lineman 24. These are all great players. They all have value. They're just not going to have those huge spike in stats that like an edge player has the potential to do. So 
Um, also, and since these D tackles are all veterans, we can feel pretty confident in who they are and what their role is in the NFL. And so we're not expecting anything like a huge outlier from them. So, so with that said, Jake, we're going to jump into who we feel that this year's Mad Max might be. Our first candidate is a one Josh Allen, currently coming in at D-lineman 20. He's the 17th edge player taken off the board and the 26th overall. In 2022, he was the D-lineman 24 with 174 points on 894 snaps. He graded out pretty well as D-line 16. He had an overall score of 82 and 9 tenths. He was really good in the rush um, rushing department with 82 and 5 tenths. And he really created a lot of pressure with 79 and 4 tenths according to his PFF grades. And so lots of dark greens and some blues there. Those are all career highs for the four-year pro. Um, he left a little bit desired with a tackle rate of 66 and 1 tenth. And his coverage was 52 and 3 tenths. But we're not drafting these guys for their coverage skills. So their job is to attack the attack the quarterback. So, And he did that with uh, racking up 52 tackles. 18 quarterback hurries and hits, and then six sacks. Um, what's interesting when looking at Josh Allen's season, he started the season off with three sacks in the first four games, but he didn't record another sack until week 14. And then um, in the last four games, he recorded three sacks in the last four games. So kind of like bookend seasons for him. And I think that has a lot to do with um, the Jaguars coaching staff trying to figure out how to best use Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker. In the final five games, um, Josh Allen started four games at the left outside linebacker position, and he produced some of his best stats of the season. Coincidentally, Trayvon Walker started five games at the right side outside, and he produced some of his best games of the season. And I have to believe if I have access to this data and can figure this stuff out, that the Jacksonville defensive coordinators are probably going to be able to do the same kind of thing. So I feel there's a lot of optimism heading into 2023 for the team from Duval. Jake, what are your thoughts on Mr. Josh Allen? First of all, I think you just need to go coach for Jacksonville. I don't know, man. You might be you might be ahead of him. That's all. I'm just saying it's a possibility. Uh, but no, with, with that said, yeah, I mean, I think you hit a lot of great points there. Um, for me, I, I love love seeing his uh, pass rush pressure rate. So, right, how many times is uh, he generating a pressure uh, every time he's getting a pass rush opportunity? Uh, not his best number uh, to date this year. Uh, last year, twelve point six percent. Um, he had 14.28 is actually his rookie year. Um, but this is something where he's kept it up above that 10% line, which is kind of that that baseline minimum for someone where I want to see that uh, they're going to be able to take that next step um, and really take that kind of leap into uh, a higher level of, of sack production, which we love to see. Um, I think you nailed it really well with his tackles as well, too. The last two years, we've seen that tackle floor um, sit very nicely for him and, and consistency, uh, consistently with that, which is that something we always see from edge rushers. So um, having that gives you that kind of safety week to week. Um, the one thing I really, really love is that there was only one game last year where he didn't even generate at least one pressure um, and only six games where he didn't collect a quarterback hit. And there was multiple games where he had three, four, five, you know, even I think six quarterback hits in one game, um, you know, upwards of seven, eight, nine, ten 10 pressures in one game. So um, he clearly is able to reach some of those elite types of production it's now can he consistently do that through an entire season um, to give us that that absolute high ceiling that we're hoping to see from him. Um, and I really think the legit running mate in, in Trevon Walker is um, who's also improving in his own right, um, coming into year two, someone that was definitely a project type player, I think is only going to help raise Josh Allen up even higher. Um, and doing all that at age 26 as well, right? He's going into his fifth year. 
he's only 26 years old. So I think, I think this, the, all signs are pointing up for him at this time. Um, then moving into someone who, you know, maybe the signs have not been as point pointing as high up uh, with Chase Young. I know a lot of the talk, uh, in the IDP community has been, you know, or should we, should we get out on Chase Young? Are we completely done with him? Um, you know, he's someone that when I look at what he's done analytically for me, uh, he's definitely underwhelmed, right? He's he's only hit that 10% threshold for pass rush pressure rate uh, once. It was this last season. Um, he's played a lo- very limited amount of snaps, though, due to injuries through his first three years, which I think is probably where most people hang their hats on terms of their concerns with Chase Young. Um, I will say that, you know, his eight career sacks is a bit below expected production in terms of that. So there is a little bit of upside left over. They didn't pick up his fifth year option. So you can, you know, if you want to buy into the contract year narrative, there is there. Um, but he is also the youngest guy on the list here that we're going to talk about between this grouping at 24.2. So, um, and the thing that we saw last year with the Philadelphia Eagles, um, all you can end up with guys, three, four guys with 10 plus sacks on your team uh, when you play with one of the strongest defensive fronts in the NFL. Um, and, you know, Chase Young has some running mates that can definitely help make that case. You know, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, and Montez Sweat. So he's he's got some potential. Um, he's got some big question marks. Really, it'll be where does everyone kind of come out on him. So with that said, Jeff, what are you thinking about Chase Young? Yeah, a lot of great stuff there, Jake, too. And I just feel that with Chase Young, he's kind of right now, he's got that injury label. It's been very warranted. Um and so when we look at him, he's coming off the board right now as the 36th overall player, which is, it seems kind of steep for a player who has not finished a season in a couple of seasons. So last year, he only played 114 snaps, like you said. So it's kind of a hard, hard barometer to kind of judge how effective he really was on those snaps. Um, so he did have a pretty decent uh, overall defensive grade with a 78.4. He is getting some rush defense with 73 and 9 tenths. And his pressure and tackle rates are probably the lowest, but again, it's kind of such a small sample size. It's hard to like be definitive on this. If this is really the Chase Young that we are going to get, or if we're ever really going to get to see the Chase Young that went number two overall in 2020. So with that said, um, he's a very motivated player this year. He didn't get the the fifth year option. There was all the trade rumors and things like that. So, you know, if he needed locker room material to be motivated for a season, this would probably be the, the one. So moving on to our last player in this position is Zadarius Smith. He's coming off at the board right now as D-lineman 25, edge player 19, and the 45th overall player taken. Last year in 2022, he finished at the D-lineman 21 with 177 points on 771 snaps. He graded out as the D-lineman 20. Very, very effective in overall grade with 82 and 2 tenths. He had an awesome job doing with the pressure rate as 84 and 7 tenths. He actually finished 12th overall in that position grouping. Again, his tackle rate and his coverage were down much like all these guys are with um, just effectiveness. But again, we're not, we're not drafting them for their coverage skills. I think the, the move from Minnesota to Cleveland was more of a salary dump than anything else. Um, His contract was like 14 million with bonuses. And so Minnesota really only gained like a fourth and they flipped a fifth. So it's not a huge haul for a player who's still as dominant as he is. Minnesota is just kind of like, and appears to be waving the white flag this season. They're just kind of, uh, Delvin Cook goes to Darius Smith, you know, they're just trying to figure out where they are as a um, a team. So playing opposite Miles Garrett is not going to be a bad thing for him. There's going to be a lot of attention drawn to him and things like that. 
So it's only going to help him be more ultra productive. Uh, the last thing I have to say about Zadarius Smith is the camp reports for um, training camp so far have been glowing for him and his leadership, just being a really vocal leader. Um, there was a, a report last week about Malik Jackson kind of calling out Miles Garrett about being not very outspoken and not being a vocal leader. And I don't think that's who Miles Garrett is. He's just more of like show up and do the work kind of thing. But uh, maybe the coaching staff in Cleveland wanted that vocal leader. And Zadarius Smith is definitely, that's that's who he is. So he's going to come in. He's going to be that loud in your face kind of guy. And, you know, that may be, help things in the whole defensive unit being uh, taking the pressure off Miles Garrett to not be that guy. So. Jake, what do you think about Mr. Smith? What I what I love about Smith is he, is he kind of had an interesting uh, career path. Uh, in 2019, uh, he played for a little team by the Green Bay Packers, if you're familiar with them, Jeff. Uh, he had a, a 17.67 pass rush pressure rate, which is just absolutely bonkers, right? I mean, that was I mean he went off that year, and rightfully so. He was amazing. Uh, we saw some of that dip down, 9.64%. Then he was injured. But now this last year, uh, playing with Minnesota and, and Daniil Hunter as a running mate, um, he jumped right back up to some of those elite numbers at 15.15%. Um, you know, you look at what he's done over his career. He's got 65 career sacks um, based on pressure rate and, and such. You expect about 60. So it's not something where, you know, what he's doing is at some hyper-efficient or crazy level. It, it's it's right in line with where we'd like to see it, maybe a little bit better. Um you know, like you talked about playing alongside Miles Garrett should help keep things stable for him in that sense. He's not going to get singled out in, in defensive or offensive schemes. Um, the one thing, you know, that's kind of working against him, he is coming into, you know, his age 31 season here. Um, but still, the last over the last four years, they are his best three seasons that he's put together in the NFL. So um, I think that he's still he's still producing even at this age in his or this stage in his career. So. Um, with that said, that leads us to who we want to keep, who we want to trade, and who we want to cut. Um, so for me, it was a little bit of an exercise. I will say the cut was easy for me. It was Chase Young. Um, you know, I just I just look at the production that even when he had you know 400 plus snaps in his, his rookie year, he still just didn't put up some of those thresholds that I kind of like to see um, to give me positive feelings or vibes that he's trending the right way. Um, so that was an easy cut for me. Uh, when it came to then who to keep here, for me, it ended up being Josh Allen. Um, and I think primarily it, it comes with, I really like his tackle floor and I really like where he's at age-wise, right? So um, I know we're talking a little bit, you know, you're talking about, hey, how can we get to that kind of max level, max level, max Crosby, the maximum level, or uh, take that next jump. Um, Allen probably is not as likely as Zedary Smith to have that year this year. But when we look at, you know, what what's some longer term value as well, you know, I kind of factored that in a little bit in my mind. Um, I, I really like where Josh Allen is trending and what they have there um, brewing in Jacksonville. So ultimately that leaves Zedarius as my trade candidate because he still puts up elite numbers. Um, people are still going to be looking to add that to their team probably in some contending sense type of roster build. So what about you? Uh, very similar. I have Chase Young as my cut. Um People were drafting him in the top 36, and he's never once finished in the top 36 as for as a defensive player. And I just think that's as a as a manager of a team that's just setting yourself up for failure if you're drafting a player higher than he's ever finished. So Chase Young was the easy cut for me. And then as I was looking at this, I was looking at it kind of through two lenses: is it, it through a dynasty or a best ball redraft? 
And looking at it through a best ball redraft lens, I'm looking for that high upside. And so I took Zadari Smith as my keep. I think the discount that we're getting him at, he's coming in like at overall uh, draft pick 45, which is almost near the end of the fourth, beginning of the fifth. So I'm getting almost a full two-round discount on Zadarius Smith versus uh, Josh Allen or Chase Young's pick. So I just think that the value is there for Zadarius Smith this year, and I think his upside is higher than anyone in this area right now. So I'm keeping Zadarius, I'm trading Josh Allen, and I'm cutting Chase Young. Moves us on to the next position, the linebackers. Now, unlike the linebacker, or unlike the defensive line positions, the linebackers are really tightly clustered. There's only five overall draft picks separating these three players. Um, so we're not going to get that discount in round, round capital. So you're going to have to pick one of these players because by the time you come back to draft again, they're not gonna, the other players are not going to be there. So you have to kind of pick who you want and go from there. So uh, first candidate right now is Caden Ellis. He's currently coming in as linebacker 39, the 90th overall player. In 2022, he finished as linebacker 58 with 155 points on 590 snaps. Now, finishing at linebacker 58 is a little misleading because there's a lot of defensive linemen that are kind of figured into that number. The other thing to consider is Keaton Ellis didn't really start playing until week nine. Um, thanks to Pete Warner's ankle injury, Ellis had a clearer path to snaps and he took full advantage of it. So up until week nine, Keaton Ellis is probably on your waivers or was probably not a best ball consideration last year. He graded out really, really well. He graded out as a top 10 linebacker for the position for the year. Overall score of 81 and 5 tenths. Uh, rush defense of 81 and 1 tenth. And has really excelled in the pressure where he got to the quarterback a lot last year. Um, he graded out as a 75 and 8 tenths. He had 101 tackles and 8 sacks. His 8 sacks were actually second only behind Demario Davis's nine. And Demario Davis played the entire year. And Caden Ellis, like we said earlier, he's he played half a season. So um, Demario Davis definitely had a head start in that department. Caden uh, Ellis kind of found a new home this offseason. He went from New Orleans along with his defensive coordinator, Ryan Nielsen. They found a new home in Atlanta. So um, clear path playing. It looks really good. Um, there's a familiarity between the two of them. They kind of know what they have in each other. And if... Uh, Ryan Nielsen's bringing in this new scheme or whatever. Clearly, Caden Ellis fits into that. So there's definitely some upside there for him. So, Jake, what are your thoughts on Caden Ellis? Yeah, I think I think you nailed a lot of them, right? Yeah, he signed that three-year contract this offseason, really a two-year deal, but but good money, um, especially for off-ball linebackers when I know Roquan got the big deal this this offseason so far, but it's not a position of uh, premium pay um, generally in the NFL at this point. So. Yeah, he was hyper effective in his pass rush opportunities, 103 of them, generating you know a pressure on 19.41% of those, um, and converting that into eight sacks. If you look at you know when I look at those numbers, to me that comes out as to really should have had three expected sacks. And so I mean he's very very efficient at, at finishing, um, maybe almost too efficient in terms of you know might see a little bit of regression to you know the mean um, in terms of that. Got a decent tackle floor, uh, you know, 10.12% tackle efficiency. That's a little bit below, you know, three down or, or top level starter uh, linebacker numbers that we'd like to see, but he obviously has the huge sack upside. Um, you know, we talked about following Ryan Nielsen. Um, the big thing for me is that Atlanta is in dire need of pass rush help. They have ranked in like the 30th, 31st, or 32nd for like the last three or four years straight in terms of all key pass rush metrics um, and just pure, you know, number of sacks and, and pressures generated and things like that. So um, 
it, it's concerning that, you know, they don't have that. And um, now they have someone who's shown that he can be hyper-effective and hyper-efficient with it. So I think there's a great chance that he, he sees a high volume of pass rush and those value, valuable snaps there. Um, I, one of the fun facts you talked about is his PFF grades. Uh, when I was actually looking at him, it's interesting to see that he's actually top 15 uh, linebacker grades for a lot of these for his defenses, run defenses, pass rush. So, you know, real sneaky that this guy is just putting up really strong metrics and, and numbers for, for what he does on the NFL field. Um, and now he's going to get a chance to potentially shine with all that in a, in a starting role. Even though Troy Anderson looks like he might be wearing the green dot, I think he was in OTAs um, and might be kind of that the, the snap leader. I feel like they have a clear utilization for Ellis laid out and, uh, and it's going to be a valuable one for IDP. My only concern with Ellis is that he had more help in New Orleans and so he wasn't like the focal point, whereas maybe in Atlanta, teams are scheming a little more because like you said, like if Atlanta is so deficient in pass rush, you know, like all of a sudden, oh, hey, we got to make sure we know where Keaton Ellis is, you know, and that, that might draw a little more focus on attention on him. Whereas in New Orleans, they had, you know, Cam Jordan, Marcus Davenport, they had other guys to worry about to draw their attention away. So that's my only caveat there with Ellis, not to give away who is my cut candidate, but. Nah. Well, no, I think, you're, I think you're totally right. And I mean, you know, they did do, they got Arnold, Arnold Abichetti coming into his second year. They did sign uh, Calais Campbell, who is a little long in the tooth for sure. But I think that his, his veteran presence, and he still showed he can play seven, 800 snaps the last two years still even. So, I mean, I think he's still an effective uh, player in the middle of that defense. And if he can be, you know, that guy absorbing some of that in the middle alongside a Grady Jarrett, um, it's going to leave, it's going to leave some area to work on the edges. So, um, but that said, uh, the next linebacker we had was Divine Diablo. Um, he was pacing out to be a near 100% snap IDP last season before his injury cut him short, I believe in week seven. Um, he had every game was 100% except for week one. He was at 94. Um, one thing I love to see is when uh, younger players put up strong or really good tackle efficiency metrics, and he did that his first year at 13.8 um, with a 2% missed tackle rate, but he followed that up by increasing it year over year. Um, and so even in the, the shortened season for him, he was at 15.33%, albeit with a 9% missed tackle rate. But to me, that's also a little bit of, hey, he left something on the bone there and he showed that in a, in a longer season, he can have a lower missed tackle rate. Um, but he showed, hey, I can be efficient um, in a full-time role, but you know, I still got a little bit of cleaning up to do, potentially bringing some more value there. Um, and really, that's really what Diablo is kind of all about is that consistency. So He's going to be out on the field a lot. He's going to be a good tackler. Um, you know, I he did see a little bit of uptick in week five where he got 12 pass rush opportunities in one game against the Chiefs. And we saw a little bit of that start to sprinkle in before his injury. So, you know, if we can get increased pass rush opportunities to add some more value to what he is as a player, um, that would really be ideal. But you also look at the limited talent in that room with uh, Robert Spillane, who is a, essentially a career LB2 in my opinion. Um, on most rosters, uh, this is this is Diablo's show to 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 have and to hold and to run with for, you know, however many years he wants to try and do that. So um, they clearly believe in him. Minimal investment in the room. So um, and and all this at uh, the young old age of twenty four point nine. What are your thoughts on El Diablo? Well, besides besides having one of the coolest names in the NFL for any player. Uh, he graded out last year as linebacker 134, um, which isn't great. He his his PFF scores are lots of yellows and oranges, so there's a lot of growth, like you said. 
but we have to remember that he is also a converted safety. And so he's only second, third year in the, in the NFL. So he's still learning the position. And like you said, they spent nothing on in the draft. They spent nothing in free agency. Like when your competition is Robert Spillane and Luke Masterson, I'm really not concerned about path to playing. So um, last year he had no game with less than seven tackles that he was able to finish, which is a, a super high floor. He had 74 in the seven games before his forearm injury. And the injury that he sustained isn't anything that's going to zap his strength or his agility or anything like that. It's not like a lower leg injury or ACL or a PCL. It was to his forearm. So like, it's not going to like limit him in his like ability to play the position. So um, yeah, Diablo, I think is a, a very high floor tackle guy, especially when you're getting him at 94th overall in the, in the draft coming off the board at linebacker 40. So that brings us to our last linebacker in this group. Uh, Jamin Davis is linebacker 41. He is currently the 95th player overall. Last year in 2022, he's finished the season as linebacker 50 with 168 points on 834 snaps. He graded out kind of poorly at linebacker 83 overall, but all of those um, scores were improved from year one to year two. And so we kind of think about that third year breakout for wide receivers Linebackers kind of typically have this 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 third year jump too, where the the game kind of slows down for them. They also got rid of Cole Holcomb, who is now in Pittsburgh, and they only brought in Cody Barton. And if you um, look up linebacker two in the dictionary, you'll find a picture of Cody Barton there. So I don't think there's a real competition for snaps for him. I think that he's going to come in, he's going to be like expected to play well and produce. He did have a little bit of a, a cleanup procedure on his knee that kept him out of week 18. So we're going to have to kind of watch the training camp and see how things start and see how he kind of bounces back from there. But Jake, what are your thoughts on Jam and Davis? You, you really nailed basically the bulk of it for me too, right? I mean, uh, the only thing I'd add is, you know, it's he's got the draft capital. He was a first rounder. He was coming in. He's age 24 and a half here. Um, consistent, strong tackle efficiency on you know, and when we saw it stay true, even with the volume increase on the stat numbers that you talked about, um, the, the the numbers were a little low on the PFF grade. But you know, something I found interesting is that I felt like you know, looking at them, we saw a general increase even within the season in some of those metrics as as he got the the role to be kind of that lead or that that the green dot linebacker in that defense too. So um, I don't know if that's one of those just like mental makeup things like, like, Hey, I'm, I'm in the driver's seat now. So I elevate my game or, or, Hey, I just, I know how to, I have to be better because everyone's looking to me, whatever it is. But, um, I did see a slight increase, uh, in the, in the second half of the season after Cole Holcomb went down. So that gives me a little bit of extra oomph behind a, hey, maybe this guy's got, um, you know, that, that next level to bring it up here and, and really have a breakout year three. So, um, that said, you know, who are we keep trading and cutting here? Uh, so for me, the cut, even though I, I, I'm actually a big fan of him, is is Caden Ellis. Um, you know, at the age he's at, um, you know, based on the number of sacks that he produced and at the expected rate that he should have produced them was much, much higher. I have a little bit of hesitancy that he's going to deliver, you know, that big swing upside there. Um, if, if he can, he can, right? Some people just play at that level, and that's great. Um, but I'm, I'm going to hedge my bets on that and say with a lower tackle efficiency, a lower tackle floor, and, and, the, and the need to have the sack upside, he would be someone that I would be looking to cut in this exercise. Um, then the keep trade was a little close for me, um, but I really, I, I like Diablo. 
um, primarily just because I see him um, as someone who is really, really effective with his tackle game. Um, I don't, I don't know if I want to make this comparison. It'll probably get me shunned in some circles, but I, I get this just that feeling of a- Alex Singleton, where the guy just finds a way to be around the ball consistently, um, and and his early numbers trending that way kind of kind of give me hope that he can be just an absolute tackle monster. The real question is, is can he deliver higher upside with, you know, can he get stronger in pass coverage, calling back to those safety routes, um, or does he get a chance to be, you know, more involved in the pass rush game? So, and ultimately that leads to trading Jimmy Davis. And to me, that's just, hey, the guy's got first round draft capital associated with his name. A lot of times that gives him, gives players second and third chances in the NFL, as well as on fantasy rosters. So um, that would be where I think you can maximize value um, out of the guys we have there. So. Uh, what do you got, Jeff? I had exactly the same, my friend. Uh, I'm keeping Diablo. There's no one else there. There's no competition for any any snaps. Um, he was scoring really well before the injury, and like I said, like the injury was to his arm. It's not really doing anything to him as a player on the field. Um, I'm, that means I'm trading Davis. With Cole Holcomb gone, I think he's an ascending player. He's going to be a, a great value for you. Um He's got an amazing defensive line in front of him that's going to keep him really clean. He's going to rack up some tackles for you. And like I like I kind of alluded to earlier, Caden Ellis is my cut. He didn't flash until his fourth year in the NFL. I love Caden Ellis's, Ellis's play. He was one of my sleepers that I wrote about back when we launched the IDP draft IDP show draft kit um, he, when he was linebacker 51. But since then, he's jumped up 12 spots. And now he's probably being drafted pretty reasonably where he should be he's not a value anymore and so like in shark tank friend for that reason i'm out as long as we kind of were talking about the the idp show draft kit that's kind of the the great thing about the the kit is it's not this like fixed document it's not a magazine that's like stagnant but it's this living this morphine organism that can grow and evolve in real time and it's kind of helps keeps the subscribers informed what's going on and so the subscribers can stay ahead of their league mates and on guys like Ellis, who a few months ago was a great value at linebacker 51. And now when he's being drafted as linebacker 39, he's, he's maybe not as good of a value as he was. So with that said, that brings us on to our last positional group, the defensive backs. And like the linebackers, these defensive backs are all nicely packaged together. This time there's only four picks separating them. Um, there are five corners that have gone off the board ahead of these safeties. So it's making these more likely the start of your three third DBs on your in your leagues that for some of your teams. Again, cannot stress enough, do not reach or draft a defensive back just to fill your starting lineups in your leagues. There's no position that has a higher turnover rate, no pun intended, that deb- defensive backs do historically have had. Um, these are players that are currently going off the board in the 13th and 14th round of your 22 rounds of your best ball. Um, so there's Probably this is the time when a few teams are adding their third defensive back to their roster. A couple might be adding their second defensive back. And a few savvy teams might be looking to add their first defensive back. So, Jake, I want to put you on the spot here before we jump into these um, players. When do you feel comfortable, how late do you feel comfortable taking your first defensive back in a a best ball draft? In a best ball, I mean, I've gone as late as... uh... I want to say like 17, 18, even in some of those 22 round ones. Um, and I've gone even later than that in some of the 30, I think 31 rounds, some we started with. So I just, I'm, I'm comfortable, you know, there's so much variability in those positions that like you, if you want the week to week stuff in, in a 
and plug and play in basketball, you have to overinvest in the Derwin um, and, you know, uh, Kyle Hamilton, whoever else, right? And uh, <laughs> Cam Curl, Cam Curl, draft Cam Curl for the girls. That's what I do. Um, no, but uh, it's, I don't know. In best ball, that's just the way it is. You know, week to week lineup stuff, I'll maybe spend up a little bit more. Um, but when you when you got that the comfort of knowing just hey, whoever's gonna get that splash play for me this week is gonna be enough or you know, just gonna have a heavy tackle game that's gonna come through. That's I I'm looking to play those those opportunities more than um over investing guys that really have true big upside. Um, you know, especially like you look at some of the defensive linemen we talked about. You go even a tier below that. There's there's guys that still have really strong upside for giving you a sack every week. That that's just that's way more valuable than the seven eight tackle someone might might rack up there. So yeah, I totally agree. I didn't mean to put you on the spot, but I was just kind of curious. You know, where you were where you're kind of at with some of these players, and uh, and like I think you nailed it too. Like in a best ball format where you are just getting the the premium play for the week, you don't have to really like invest in that sit it and forget a kind of guy. You know, like. You don't have to do, get a Derwin James or a, you know a Cameron Curl. You can you can kind of play the game and kind of punt the position until the last few rounds of your best ball draft. So, um, and I think that's kind of where we are in this like spot in the draft right now. Like we mentioned, some of these owners might be looking to add your third defensive back, whereas some of the more savvy best ball players might not have one yet. And so maybe this is that time where they start to like maybe get a Lancey and looking like at the as the the lake's kind of drying up, maybe to try to take a stab at one of these guys. So. With that said, our three defensive backs. Our first one is Mr. Rayshon Jenkins. He is currently defensive back 24, the 19th safety coming off the board, the 166th overall player. In 2022, he finished the season as defensive back 5 with 218 points on 1,126 snaps. He graded out mm, not so good. He graded out as defensive back 126, and he had lots of yellows and some reds as far as his PFF scoring went. So he, he was not very efficient as a defensive back. He did have 112 tackles, a sack, three forced fumbles, and three INTs on the season. His true breakout performance was week 15 versus Dallas when he laid almost a 50-burger with 49 and 65, or 49, almost 50 points. Um, but this made up 23% of his entire season. He did have eight games with less than 10 points. Rayshon Jenkins is like the true definition of a best ball player. Um, he cannot be trusted in like redrafts or seasonal long leagues, but he is the guy that you want in best ball because he's going to have that monster game or two for you for the season. And that makes him ideal for best ball. So if that's your cup of tea, then maybe Rayshon Jenkins is your guy. Jake, what are you feeling about Rayshon Jenkins? So he, he gets great utilization, um, especially when we look for things in defensive backs, right? We want him closer to the line of scrimmage. We want him in that sweet spot where they're playing in the box like a linebacker, you know, in that slot alignment on that inside wide receiver along the defensive line. Um, and, you know, and he had a 60.8% utilization last year, which is really good. And, and as a career, he's got 54.72. Um, but this is, you know, at age 29 and a half. And like you said, it was really his worst overall PFF graded season. His worst coverage one by far. I mean, I think it was 10 points lower than his next closest one and, and 20 points lower than most of his other seasons. So, um, you know, is, is that a, is that an anomaly or is this, you know, the trend as he's starting to close, close in on that, you know, age 30, um, maybe performance drop. So, um, and he, and this is what it was his biggest season in terms of snaps too. He played almost 1300 snaps, um, with, 
a 9.89% tackle efficiency, which is right at average, slightly above for a defensive back. So you like what you saw there, um, but 18% missed too. I mean, he had a really poor tackling grade. Um, so, you know, missing some tackles is okay for upside, but missing one out of every five, that, that's a little bit more concerning. So, um, and this is someone who's kind of had this history of, in my opinion, where they've had good alignment and utilization, but really haven't capitalized until this year. And I, I, I love how you put, uh, called that out and, and really nailed it, that he produced 25% of his stats or his IDP stats in a single game. So, um, yeah, definitely, definitely leaves us a little bit concerning there. Um, now, on the flip side of that, Mr. Consistency um, on the back end here, Jesse Bates, um, new team, Atlanta Falcons, DB25. Um, he's kind of the antithesis of what I look at when I look at these defensive backs, right? He's got a 29.1% uh, sweet snap, a sweet spot snap count. Um, and then for a career, it's 25.6. So definitely lower for what we'd like to see. But, you know, even in this first five years, um, you know, at age 26.7, he's had five straight seasons of over 1,000 snaps with back-to-back seasons over 1,200. So even if he's not getting the great alignment that we'd like to see and that best utilization, he's out on the field and he is out there. And when he is, he finds ways to make plays, even if it's not in maybe some of those more traditional ways or the, you know, the the consistency or the floor of a tackle, right? He's an 8.7% tackle efficiency in a, as a career, which is slightly just below, um, again, that, that average for defensive backs. But um, in every year he's played in the NFL, He's always had at least three interceptions. He had four last year. Um, he's always had at least four pass breakups in all five years. And he peaked and absolutely smashed in 2020 with 12 of them. And he brings consistently strong PFF grades on the NFL field um, every year. And that's, this is why the guy just got a huge contract, a big one, when when safeties aren't always seen as necessarily a premium position. So um, all that said, the guy finds a way to deliver week in and week out. Um, almost, almost like you, Jeff, just constantly bringing greatness. So depends on who you talk to, <laughs> but I appreciate it. Yeah. So, uh, a lot of those things I had mentioned here too, about Jesse Bates, he, um, uh, graded out amazingly well. He was a defensive back 18 last year. Um, amazing rush defense, amazing tackle rate, coverage skills were amazing. And these were on a statistically down season for Bates. And I think some of that had to do with, you know, he was un- unhappy with this contract. Cincinnati knew they weren't going to resign him, so they were trying to like kind of see what they had in their new picks with Daxton Hill and see kind of see where he kind of fit into to their alignment. So I think um, the writing was on the wall for Bates that he wasn't going to be back in Cincy, and so he found a new home in Atlanta. The nice thing about was Atlanta and bringing over Ryan Nielsen, like we mentioned earlier from New Orleans, is he plays a really hyper-aggressive defense, and I think that's going to um, do twofold. It's going to have a lot more pressure on the quarterback, and we know that when there's a lot more pressure on the quarterback, the ball gets thrown. And that gives a guy like Jesse Bates, who is historically known to be a ball hawking safety, opportunities for turnover. So I think um, it's a it's a great matchup or a great marriage for a player like Jesse Bates, who has that deep ball hawking center field skills to um, be on a defense where he can kind of utilize his skills a little bit. So, um, Oh, the last thing I would just want to mention, like he had three straight – 100 tackle seasons too. So not only is he a, a ball hawking safety, he also can put his nose down and put his nose in there and make some tackles. 
the last two seasons, he kind of failed with a hundred tackle season. But I think again, that was more of the the kind of coaching coaching style and where we're kind of going with that. Last player that we're going to talk about tonight is Donovan Wilson, and he is DB twenty six. He's the twenty first safety off the board, going off the board at one hundred and seventieth overall. He did amazingly well in twenty twenty two. He finishes D back thirteen with one hundred eighty six points on nine hundred and four snaps. He graded out fairly well. He kind of graded out in the middle of the pack in a lot of those PFF scores. Um, but like you like to say, he, he left a little meat on the bone. There's still some more opportunity there. You know, we mentioned earlier about Ryan Nielsen being a very aggressive defensive coordinator. I think Dan Quinn is kind of a, an excellent defensive coordinator in his own right. He puts his players in positions to win. The linebacker room is a little void of talent. I feel um, they got Leighton Van Der Esch, They got Jabril Cox, Demo Clark. Um, they drafted Demarion Overshone. Um, so we might see a lot more three safety looks. And I think this is kind of a growing trend in the NFL, along with Jan Curtis and Malik Hooker. They uh, might see a lot more Donovan Wilson there. And so last year he had 98 tackles. He had five sacks, two forced fumbles, a recovery, and an interception. So he kind of a, a bit of a jack of all trades. And so, again, I think with Dan Quinn there, he knows what he has in his players. They didn't draft anyone for a competition of snaps like they – Jacksonville Jaguars did, which I'll get to here in a second. But I think there's a very clear path for Donovan Wilson to have a very high floor for your for your best ball team. Jake, thoughts on Donovan Wilson? Yeah, I mean, you, you absolutely nailed it. Um, 59.07% um, in the sweet spot last year, 40% just within the box. So, I mean, he, you know, the lack of linebacker depth there at times, I think, you know, was one of the reasons you saw J. Ron Kirst and Donovan Wilson and Malik Hooker um, on the field so much, you know, playing in that linebacker role, that linebacker two type role at times. Um, but even as a career, you know, he's got a 52.41% uh, sweet sweet spot alignment, which, again, just really good numbers for him. You know, age 28.3. So, you know, this is actually only going into his fifth year, but he's almost, he's going to be 29 at the end of the season. Like, it's kind of crazy to think. So, I mean, he was, he was a, a later age coming out of uh, college and into the NFL. Um, this was his first season where he was able to get over 1,000 snaps at 1,100. Um, actually, his first season over 700 snaps um, as well. So just not heavily utilized in the first few years, kind of finding his role. And uh, it seems like in Dan Quinn's defense, like you alluded to or, or really talked to beautifully, um, he's got that. Um, and he had an almost 10% tackle efficiency last year, which is very strong for, for defensive backs. And um, you, you love the splash plays that he added in there at times. And I think that's just something that, you know, if unless someone comes in and really takes over that LB2 spot consistently in this defense, I don't know that we're going to see that. And, and Dan Quinn has always loved the, that big nickel, you know, kind of that single single high safety look where he's, he's able to roll safeties down into the box and play them closer to the line of scrimmage. So I think Donovan Wilson and, and the others will be, uh, be spending plenty of time near the line of scrimmage helping us make plays this off, or during the season. So, And I think he just signed a three-year deal too i think a 24 million dollar deal too so i mean so follow the money like he's he's obviously they they like what they have they know what they have in him and they kind of locked them up like you said in his fifth year he they, he's going to be in big d for a few more so yep yeah it looks like four-year contract with one of those being a void year and you know two two strong years essentially right where it's no no cap savings anything else but that third year is kind of where they could look to maybe start to move on so yeah you're looking at him probably a minimum of two years of, of him being um, a high-level contributor or starter for that defense. Uh, that said, you know, who are we keeping, who are we trading and cutting? Uh, the keep 
you know, hands down Jesse Bates, which is funny because again, it's, it's kind of the inverse of how I'd look for, um, my IDPs in the defensive backfield. But I mean, the guy literally keeps proving it every year. So I mean, if we're to, if we're to doubt him, um, well, shame on you at that point. So, uh, that is for trading and cutting. This was actually a pretty tough one for me. Um, and I think you swayed me just with one of the numbers that you talked about. And so originally I was going to trade Donovan Wilson because, you know, contract and everything. I just felt like he, uh, more stable. But what I think really hit me was that, that huge 50 burger, right? People are going to, people are going to latch onto those anomalies, those outliers that are so huge. Um, and they're going to think, Hey, he could do that again for you. Right. And then you could go ahead and actually get some sort of value for him, even though he's a little bit older, not much older than Donovan Wilson, but, um, you know, go try and trade him against the guy who, to, to the guy who played against Rayshon Jenkins last year in that week, and he'll remember that he got a fifty burger drop. Knocked him out of the playoffs in week fifteen. Yeah, exactly right. So, um, you know, try and do that because uh, I, I always find those fun things when I have guys who have huge weeks um, in season. I'll try and trade him to the person that they had that huge week against, uh, just because you know I feel like it did last. It, that's a that's an impression that sticks in people's minds. So, uh, and you're that son? guy. I am that guy, right? You know. Uh, and then that obviously means that I'd be cutting down the wheels. Jeff, where are you at for your KTC? Well, this is awesome because we are totally different on this one, and I love when, when this happens, so it's not this whole group think idea. I am keeping Donovan Wilson because I think he has the fewest question marks of all three of these guys. He has the same role on the team, no new added players in free agency, no new players were drafted. We, we kind of know what we're getting with Donovan Wilson. I'm trading Jesse Bates. Um, love the production. New team, not really sure what his role is going to be there with Richie Grant. What's the the game script in Atlanta versus Cincy? You know, in Cincinnati, they were probably leading late in games, so teams were having to throw against them. Atlanta, I would love for them to have positive game script for my Desmond Ritter and Bijan Robinson shares, but I just don't know that Atlanta is ready to take that next step. And they're definitely not in the same tier as Cincinnati, so I think game script is a, a little bit to do with this, so... Uh, the last guy I'm, I'm cutting Rayshon Jenkins, poor, greatly, poor, uh, poor, poorly graded, um, kind of a descending player. Like you had mentioned a lot of like low marks. Is that, is that the trend? Is that an anomaly? I would rather be a year ahead on a guy rather than a year too late. Um, he wasn't even the best safety on his own team. He graded out behind Andrew Wingard and Adrian Cisco also. And they also brought in a draft pick, Antonio Johnson. So he might start to lose some snaps there. They drafted uh, two linebackers last year. He's probably not going to play that linebacker role if they got Aluakon, they've got Muma, and they also have Lloyd already there. So he's probably not going to get a lot of those sweet spots things. So Shark Tankin', I'm out. Moderation on Jenkins. So um, just kind of like a little segue here too. And this is why we say wait on defensive backs. If none of these players sound like appealing to you and you're just like drafting a guy to draft a guy here, don't. Like wait. Um, you can wait, you know, like some of these guys are going off the board at pick 170. You can wait almost 50 picks later and get a guy like Eddie Jackson, who was playing for Chicago, who before his injury was going to be a top five defensive back. Ryan Neal, who's in Tampa Bay, is going off at 221. Um, Sidney Brown, the rookie in Philadelphia, 227. Jordan Fuller is going off at 263. No one is talking about this guy, and he's going to, he's legit going to be a, a top 10 defensive back because. That team is so decimated with no playmakers, and he's just going to sit there and soak up tackles and soak up tackles. So, again, if you wait on defensive backs, there are those diamonds. You just have to be patient. You have to dig a little bit. But that's kind of all I have to say about that. I love it. Well, I'll say this. 
there isn't nobody talking about Jordan Fuller. In fact, if you have if you have the IDP draft kit, there was a recent update, uh, a round of updates to that where Jordan Fuller was added into there as a sleeper uh, that talks about exactly what Jeff is uh, mentioning there, um, you know, with, with a little bit of detail around it. And, you know, hey, if you want to check out the IDP draft kit, you can definitely do that with the IDPshow.com um, for as little as $5 a month. You just sign up, you get full access to everything. We've talked about these things ad nauseum, um, but, you know, I just want to put it out there. You know, if you want more access to more great content like this, um, please, please check it out. Um, yeah, I mean, so, so many good things. I, I guess I could go on for, for hours, but I won't. So Jeff, any final parting thoughts to these uh, wonderful listeners about Keep Trade Cut or anything IDP here? No, I just love doing these shows and I appreciate uh, taking the time to chat it up with you, Jake. So thank you. <laughs> no, thanks for setting up, Jeff. It was great as always. So, all right. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in and until next time. This was the IDP After Show. <laughs>